Oscar Combs here, and I want to put one rumor to rest, once and for all. The story is that Rafferty's goes all out for sports fans. And let me tell you, it's absolutely true. Confirmed. And fans love Rafferty's right back because the food is so terrific. Serve fresh, serve fast, serve friendly, lunch or dinner. Rafferty's menu is jam-packed with all your favorites. Steaks, prime rib, chicken, ribs, delicious dishes and generous sizes that really satisfy the appetite. So come hang with the sports crowd at Rafferty's. It's the tastiest place in town. It's Conversations with Oscar Combs, presented by Rafferty's. Episode 33 features Terry Mills, who played for Coach Adolph Rupp in the late 60s. He played alongside Wildcat greats like Mike Casey, Dan Issel, and Mike Pratt, but it always wasn't like that, as Terry explains to you and Oscar. However, first, we'll travel deep into the 13th region of Kentucky high school basketball to learn a little bit about Terry growing up in eastern Kentucky and the landscape of high school basketball in that part of the state. A successful high school career for Knox Central paved the way for Terry Mills to land a role on the freshman team at UK. And we'll get some insight from Terry about life on the road and on campus as a Wildcat. How did Terry Mills cost the Cats a game and what did Coach Adolph Rupp had to say about that? The answer might surprise you. And you'll like Coach Rupp's methods on remembering players' names. Mr. Mills is in a unique and very small group of Kentucky Wildcats in which his son, Cameron, also played at the University of Kentucky. Terry discusses with Oscar about his two sons, Cameron and Collier, playing college basketball. And you're going to like the motivational talk that Mr. Mills gave his son, Cameron, about playing at UK. And we'll finish up with some thoughts on Coach Rupp and Terry's former teammates. The roots of Kentucky basketball run deep into eastern Kentucky, but as with any family tree, the roots need to be strong to support that family. When it comes to Terry Mills, it's most definitely about family, and part of that family is Kentucky basketball. This is Conversations with Oscar Combs, presented by Rafferty's, and his guest, Terry Mills. Okay, you're a product of the 50s, growing up in the 50s and the 60s. Well, I guess I would be, I would think it'd be the 60s. I, I, was, I was born in 48, and so it was the 60s when I was in high school and went on to college. And coming from the hills of eastern Kentucky, which Adolph liked to recruit back during those days. He did do some recruiting in those, those areas. I don't know if he actually did it or if one of his assistants like Harry Lancaster <laughs> or Joe Hall. But uh, I think they I think they actually saw me play in the state tournament my junior year. Knox County, not Knox County, but Knox, Knox County. Knox KNOX Central was the name of the school, Knox Central High School. And Barberville, you live in the city or the country? We lived out in the country, about four or five miles from the from the city limits of Barberville. Little community, called, a little community called Bimble. B i m b l e. B i m b l e. What was it like growing up? You know, it's it's only been a half a century. <laughs> since I, since I, but but as an yeah. eight or ten year old kid, yeah. well, what did you like uh, to do? Did you well, play marbles? Well, we did play some marbles, but also we uh, we played basketball out in my grandfather's little farm, I guess you'd call it. We put a backboard and a goal up on his barn, and we had we had enough kids in our neighborhood to have a couple of teams, and we would. You know, when school wasn't in session, we'd go over there during the day, and we would stay there. We would we would play basketball. We would walk up to the little store about a half mile away, and we would get uh, we called it pops and potato chips and and cake, little cakes, 
Did you have an RC colon and RC colon moon pie? That's exactly what it was. And we would, if we got thirsty here today, we would, we would actually bend over and, and drink out of a little stream of water that came down from the mountain. Do we fish no, A little bit, not much. Yeah, playing on the outdoor court, it could get muddy pretty easily. Yeah. You could wear out nylon threads as far as a net on the go. Yeah. Did you use nylon threads no, or did you no, use really, chains? Most of the time, we, just, we either had a chain or no net at all. And uh, you know, we had, in fact, both my brothers are older than me both of them were good players but they never did have the ambition to play ball in high school what was a predecessor to Knox central high school well uh with that's as far as i can remember has been there now we they had we had a little city school barberville city school and we had a, we had a little high school there called rosenwall which most of the black kids in the area at that time went to school in fact my one of my best friends and i always you know, kid, the boys and, and people, one of my best friends at, at Knox Central when I went to Knox Central High School, I remember playing him when he was at Rosenwald High School. Uh, and, and when I was at little elementary school, we would play them. And uh, so I don't know how many years he was actually in high school, but I used to kid all of them that I played against him when he was in high school. And when I went to high school, he played with me. Yeah. Throughout, throughout your high school days, what were some of your arch rivals as far as competing in the district tournament, regional tournament? And then, like you said, you played in a couple of state tournaments there in the 60s. Well, we were in the 13th region. Uh, so Knox Central and, and Corbin and Hazel Green at the time. Now, was Spider Thurman or Bobby Keith coaching at that time? Bobby Keith was, uh, well, Thurman was there. Uh, most of that time, Bobby Keith may have come on as a high school coach, my, maybe my senior year or something. Because they had one of the biggest kids on, on the area at that time that went to, to Clay County. And I think they probably had, I think he was 6'10", 6'11", and you just didn't see that in that area in those days. Going through up until your sophomore junior year, when did, uh, first of all, you get serious about maybe wanting to play at the next level in college? I didn't give that much thought, really. I, you know, uh, I was being recruited uh, heavily by a Western in fact, I probably would have gone to Western, and I think after we went to the state tournament my junior year, I think uh, Kentucky got interested and watched me uh, my whole senior year, and we were able to go back to the state tournament. And uh, Who was the coach at Western at the time? Was that uh, Johnny Oldham or? Uh, no. Um, Diddle? Diddle, maybe? okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. I and, and of course, yeah. they had a big-time program back during those years, yeah, and yeah, they filled right, it up. Yeah. Uh, their, yeah. their arena's not that big now, but it, right. it seated 12, 13,000 yeah. one time. Yeah, that was a, it was a good, well-recognized school, and I, you know, I was ready to go there until UK got interested. Uh, state tournament, 65? Right, that would have been my junior year. Your junior year? First time you'd been to the state tournament or the Knox Central in uh, several years? First time. I think they'd been one other time several years before then. Like, I think it's 37. Yeah, I think so. 39. Yeah. And how did that fare out for you? Well, it was fine. We, uh, our first game that day, of course, in those days, the state tournament was in Louisville all, every year and uh, at Freedom Hall. And uh, the, my junior year, I think we played the first game with Glasgow, and we beat them 82 to 80. I remember the score very well. In fact, we were down by 20 points at halftime. Came back and beat them. So that was our first game. Then we got beat by Hazard. Uh, we had the Rose kids mm -hmm. uh, and Hogg. 
Uh, they beat us to the second game in the, in the state tournament that year. You made all state tournament team. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had I had a good two games. Those two games, I had you know scored you know probably twenty five thirty points each game. Is that what propelled and, the college's uh, interest in you? Is well, I, I think so. I, Western had some interest before then, but uh, as far as UK, I think that was uh, what got them interested, in, and they watched me quite a bit my senior year. And we did go back to state tournament my senior year and played Shelby County our first game. And, no, and you probably remember Shelby County was the number one team in the state. Mike Casey. Mike Casey and Bill Busey. Busey. And, uh, so we, and they beat us a couple points. And I think both of those ended up coming to UK. Yeah, yeah, Mike and Bill both. Yeah. How did the recruiting start, and how did that evolve, and what schools yeah. were interested in you, yeah. and what schools were you interested in? Well, there, there were several to? other schools in, interested. Um, I don't necessarily remember the names, but uh, when they stayed in, when UK stayed in contact with me after the season, uh, of course, in those days they could recruit about as many kids as they wanted to, and we had a freshman team, and uh, so they had thirteen of us. They invited 13 of us uh, to come up to Lexington uh, on a weekend, and they tried to uh, sign every one of us that particular Saturday. And and a lot of us did decide that Saturday to go ahead and sign with UK. And some of the names were obviously Mike Casey and Bill Busey and Dan Issel and Mike Pratt. Uh, so there, I think there's 13 of us signed scholarships at that particular time. Like you say, it wasn't rare to have a large team. and No. Then you no. pretty much had a year's tryout. Right, right. We've had our own so, schedule, played our played our own schedule. We did practice with the uh, UK varsity at the, at the time. And that particular year, our freshman year in '66, you know, they had a couple. They had about two or three kids coming back from their team that went to the final game the year before. You know, Riley and Dampier and Jim Lamaster and people like that. We practiced against them every day. So when it came down, did you visit other schools? Did you make visits? At that I don't time? remember. Be honest with you, I don't remember when when UK kind of got interested. I thought they were going to offer a scholarship. I didn't have any interest and didn't didn't seek to visit anyone else. So this day and time, you have a big press yeah. conference. <laughs> uh, did anybody come to watch you get uh, uh, signed? Or my my press conference was. Uh, we we had a meeting in the print, my high school principal's office. Is me and my parents and. My coach at the time was Don Bingham. He was my, my coach my senior year in high school. And the principal. That was my press conference. Did you play in any all-star games? What did you do between Yeah, we played in uh, – we had a, that summer after my senior year, before I started as a freshman at UK, we played – they had an east-west uh, all-star game. And I played in that. And then I played in the Kentucky-Indiana all-star game. Uh, at the time, Indiana had a guy named Rick Mounts. He's probably the most – Went on to Purdue? Right. Mm-hmm. So you come to Kentucky, and obviously your freshman year during that period, you don't play varsity we don't, we ball. We didn't play varsity ball, not, not even, wasn't even a choice, or you didn't make any difference how good you were, whatever, you didn't play on the varsity. What was it like playing? I guess you played and, uh, for Harry Lancaster. Well, Harry Lancaster or sometimes Coach Hall. Joe Hall would, would coach us during practice. and, mm-hmm. and but, we, but we were with Rupp every day because we practiced against the, uh, the older guys. What was the you first know? practice like? When well, you put on your sweats and you see well, Adolph come out in his brown khakis. Little, uh, uh, the coaches all wear khakis. It's just like a, a being in the army, I guess, like a drill sergeant. You know, they come out all dressed alike and not much, not much talk or anything. They just started us out on drills, and we did those drills every day. And it's, it's mostly just drills, drills, drills. Did you yeah. did, did you scrimmage any at all? Oh yeah, we scrimmaged some, but we we would spend. I think we had at least thirty minutes of just free shooting. 
And then we would start drills, probably last another 30 minutes, and then we would either we would scrimmage or work on some plays the last hour or so. Many of the people that we've interviewed before that played under Ruck said that once you came on the floor, you heard three things and three things only. You heard the shoes squealing on the floor, you heard the ball bouncing, and you heard Rupp's voice and nothing else. Is that I, accurate? I, that's accurate. I, I, would, I couldn't disagree with that. Not, not a whole lot of water breaks. You know, I, I'm sure these days they, they do give them water breaks or Gatorade or whatever they, they give them. Now, by the time you got here, uh, Joe Hall had gotten here. Joe Hall was here. And no, supposedly no. the uh, running program is a little different than previously. Yeah, I think Coach Hall instituted the uh, running program that they did probably for many, many years. Uh, we ran in the fall, since school started in the fall, we started a little track program, and we would jog to, from, from our dorm, which is kind of in the middle of it, you know, Hagen Hall, Old Hagen Hall, Holmes Hall, some of those dorms in the middle of the campus. We would jog over to the track just about every day. Well, it would have been every day, and we'd either run uh, sprints or we'd run long distance. And Coach Hall's thing was we, he wanted us to run 220-yard uh, dashes. And... Uh, to graduate from that program, you had to be able to run 16. I don't know where he came up with the number 16. 220-yard dashes under 32 seconds. Now, uh, it wasn't too hard the first three or four, but you'd run one, then you'd walk across the track, not around to, to your starting line again, but you'd walk directly across the track and run another one. And by the time you got down, you know, to 9, 10, 11, 12 and more, it was tough to make it into 32 seconds. How difficult was it mixing the basketball program, the practice with academics at a big university coming from a somewhat small school? Well, uh, you know, I don't know the difference between then and now, but, uh, you know, we had, depending on what your, your degree was going to be, at one time I was going to be in, in pharmacy. And it didn't take me long to find out that I could not take those courses and do that after classwork and practice and, and eat and all that. So I, I didn't stay in the pre-pharmacy program very long. Back on the basketball court, what games did you play? Did you play very many road games as a freshman team or most of them at home? Uh, and who did you play? Played a lot at, played a lot at home. I remember going to Dayton and Cincinnati and uh, down to Tennessee and you know, there's a couple, you know, uh, Vandy in Tennessee, obviously, down there. And uh, we played, uh, I can't remember if we played Western freshman team or not. Uh, and they had an AAU team. Remember that Tom Payne, when he came to the UK, played. And our on. former mayor, which yeah, was a former yeah, Wildcat, yeah, Scotty Basler, Basler yeah. I think was sort of a player coach. Yeah, it? I think so. Yeah, I think he kind of got that game going or that team going. We'd play them two or three times a year. Uh, seemed like we had the same officials every time we played home. <laughs> I thought that was funny. Do you remember but, uh, any officials by name that, that when you were here? When I when playing on the varsity, I remember one very well. His name was Lou Bellows. I yes. bet you remember him. Yeah, in <laughs> fact, I did a tweet about him yesterday. Oh, did Okay. And, uh, and the uh, other yeah. one that was around a lot during your time, I think, was a guy by the name of Ralph Stout. Yeah, out of right. Tennessee. Yeah, yeah. And they were they were sort yeah, of uh, yeah. entertainers as well. Well, especially Lou Bellows was. I think he and Rupp had a had an agreement that he would uh, he would do all his antics and and uh, get the crowd loosened up. And and uh, Rupp used to stay on him all the time, but but he didn't seem to mind. And of course, that that was yeah. during a period when 
the schools actually hired the referees too. Right, right. Yeah. So, so a lot of the home games you had the same officials. Same, uh, you know, I'm sure not every game, but a lot of games you would uh, they become familiar. Did you get a sense that you were in a year-long tryout as for if you were going to be able to come back that second year? And how did that play out by mid-season? Did you feel like you were progressing like you wanted to, needed to, to come back? Did, were the players aware that if they didn't play very well, they wouldn't get back, come back the sophomore year? Well, Coach Up didn't. He, he didn't. he didn't substitute a lot. You know, seven or eight players. You know, Is that true for the freshman and, uh, team too? Best I remember it was, yeah. Mm-hmm. But Harry Lancaster coached the freshman team a lot of time, most of the time, and he's pretty tough. And so you didn't really know where you stood with him, and you know, unless you were actually playing that particular game. But uh, and and you didn't really know because you know when you got through that one year, and they didn't have the programs, the continuous programs then like they do now. Now I guess players know, you know, they just continue to work and practice with the coaches, you know. And uh, they probably know where they stand. Were there an end of the season individual meeting one on one as to? Not really. We had a little. We had a little banquet, just a team banquet after the season was over. And uh, then, then you a lot of kids would go go home and work jobs where they were from, and you didn't hear hear from them or see them until until they came back to school the next fall. Did you know any of the players? Or were there any players on your freshman team that were not invited back to their sophomore year? And how did they find yeah, out? I, no, in, in those days, the scholarships were pretty well set for four years. Right. If you got a scholarship, then you were pretty well set, unless you got in trouble sometimes, somehow, which some players did. We, we did lose some players over the years. They ended up quitting or leaving or, or dismissed for various reasons. But most of the – Mike Pratt called that uh, – Leaving the reservation uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. unapproved. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, and of course, one year, you know, like uh, when and you remember this, Mike Casey broke his leg in an yes. automobile accident. I think that would probably have been before our junior year, mm-hmm. which probably cost us, you know, the chance to get to the Final Four. Yeah. Which in those days, the Final Four wasn't nearly what it is today. Yeah, in fact, it wasn't yeah. even called a Final Four. It was no. called the NCAA Championship. Yeah, we and, and I believe they yeah. were played back to back, like on a Friday and a Saturday. Yeah, yeah. We and you had, I mean, I had sixteen teams. Yes. In the NCAA tournament, and that was they had four regions, and only four teams in each region, and a couple of them like Notre Dame, they were independent, so they and they, they go always, anywhere there was an opening. Yeah, they they always had a good team, so they were invited to one of the regions most every year, and uh, that was it. And then you played two games, two games, and then there was a Final Four. Yeah, I, yeah, I think the way it was set up at that time, uh, you didn't you you had the East, the Mid East, the Midwest, and West. Right. That's and right. then in the East, the champions from the ACC yeah. and the OECAC came, Big mm-hmm. Ten, SEC, and the Mid East, yeah. the Southwest and the Big Twelve in the Midwest, and the old mm-hmm. Pac Eight, and I think it was yeah. a whack maybe. Yeah. Yeah, that well, was out got, there. Yeah, you got. And good then memory. you just you just floated the yeah. independence. Yeah, I know we were. Yeah, right. But we were in the same region every year, and um, but that uh, you know we and of course the, the most familiar one is people talk about the Jacksonville, mm-hmm. the year Jacksonville beat us in the final game to get to the final. Well, let's let's go through your sophomore, junior, and senior year, and tell us a little bit about each year and how. Yeah. The team jailed and the ups and the downs. and Well, in my sophomore year, I was having a good preseason, and I probably was going to be a starter as a true sophomore. And I had a, I, 
I had a sprained ankle, a severely sprained ankle, so I missed a couple of weeks of practice close to the season starting. So when when that happened and I didn't get really really back to being able to play a lot, then they they decided to redshirt me and two other players, Jim Dinwiddie and Clint Wheeler. So three of us redshirted our true sophomore years, and so we got to sit on sit in the stands like everybody else or behind the bench and watch games. And, but we still practice every day with the team. Uh, so that was a tough year, but, you know. And in my junior year, um, it's just a normal preseason. And, uh, you know, of course, again, we had Dan Islam, Mike Pratt, Mike Casey, Bill Busey, Jim Dinwiddie, myself. Uh, I had a couple of sophomores that particular year. That were Kent Hollenbeck and Stan Key. Mm -hmm. Stan's still around these areas today. And um, – I don't, you know, I think that's the year. I can't remember. I, I can't remember who beat us that year. Uh, I guess our most, the year that people would remember most in those days would have been our, my junior year, which would, should have been my senior year if I hadn't been redshirted. And that's, uh, I think we only lost maybe a couple of games. In, uh, and that's when uh, Jacksonville beat us in that Mid-East Regional. I think what do you remember year. most about that game? Uh, well, I, you know, I remember having a decent game, and, and that's the game where this uh, player for Jacksonville laid down in front of Dan Issel about midway through the second half, and they called a charging foul on Dan, and that was his fifth foul. And you know, Quite a bit of time left in the game. Oh, yeah, the yeah, there's probably 10 or 12 minutes left in the game, or more, and that was the tell, telling point of that game. And I, that's one of the bad memories I have, obviously, because we probably would have won that game, which would put us in the – Final four, if you want to call it that, against uh, UCLA. So we were all looking forward to that. But Jacksonville had a good team. They had two big kids, Artis Gilmore and Pembroke Barris. Had a good guard to it. I can't remember his name, but uh, uh, they had a good team. And uh, But we should have won that game. The uh, matchup that everybody looked to in the late 60s in the SEC was when Pete Maravich come to town. Right. I remember. I think I remember him. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> we played them. I guess. Uh, well, because uh, he would have been a freshman the same time I was, so he he wouldn't have played varsity until. So we, as a varsity player, uh, we we played them six times. Through, and one of the years year. he you you played them, you were out. The year yeah. you were redshirt. Yeah. So you had uh, I did a little research yeah. for you. Well, good. <laughs> <laughs> you had I, you had three games against Pistol Pete. Okay. And uh, January of '69, which would have been your redshirt sophomore year, right? Uh, you didn't score. Yeah. You didn't play all that much in that particular okay. game. Right. And uh, Pete got 52 points. But who was it guarding him? Well, yeah, I thought it wasn't know, you. I don't know. If probably I did, nobody. <laughs> if I didn't score, that means I probably wasn't playing very much, yes. so I couldn't have been guarding him that year. <laughs> yeah. So we'll blame it on someone else. Uh, but two of your better games there in your career yeah. was against LSU. I, I remember scoring in the 20s against them. You had yeah. uh, 14 against them mm -hmm. in Jan in uh, February of 70. In January of 70, you had uh, 22. Okay. I, I, I kind of remember that. Uh, how many did he still score in the 40s or 50s? Well, let's see. <laughs> uh, he had uh, 52, 64, and 54. Okay. Yeah. But I mean, he—I uh, didn't—I did not realize how great a free throw shooter he was. Much better free throw shooter 
Well, he and he got goal. and he got a lot of free throws too because yeah. they called a lot of fouls, whether it was foul or not. They called a lot of fouls. He he scored uh, thirteen out of fifteen, eighteen out of twenty two, and twelve out of fourteen. Yeah. That's a lot for that, a guard. That's isn't pretty it? good compared yeah. to the way kids shoot from free throw line today. That was excellent. Yes, uh, I, I know in his six games against Kentucky, yeah. uh, over two hundred points were scored in each game by the two teams. Yeah, we always together. scored around hundred points each one of them. And yeah. forty four was the his smallest output. Yeah. But Kentucky won, we won every all one six. Of, every one of them. Um give me your best recollection of Adolph's best quote about uh playing L S U and guarding Pete Maravich. Well I remember I remember he had uh he had Pete Maravich on his post game radio show. Oh, is that right? He did and I think he was the only Opposing player that had ever been on Coach Rupp's post game radio show. I did not realize that. Yeah, because he he's he, you know he was very humorous during his post game shows as you probably remember. Yes, and he did. He had Pete Maravich on there live one year. I'm sure yeah. he was telling him how good he was. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. What 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 do you remember most? Someone asked you today. You know, what do you remember most about Pete, the person? Just seeing him on the floor. How did he handle himself? Well, I mean, everybody was I – mean, most people were in awe of him because of the style he played in those days. He had those real crazy-looking socks, you know, the real you – know, I don't know what you'd call it, but he had – Floppy uh, socks. Floppy-type socks. And uh, the long hair that just kind of, you know, fell down in, in his face and stuff. And uh, he, didn't, he didn't talk very much or say very much. He just played the game. Was he uh, – did no trash talking? No. Well, and I don't think in those days there wasn't any trash talking. Going on the road throughout the SEC and out of the conference too, what were some of the things that struck you for the first time as, wow, I didn't expect this? Well, you know, the the uh, of course, you didn't expect it because you didn't know how the opposing fans or players looked upon Kentucky. You know, Kentucky was the team. In, in those days. And uh, the opposing fans didn't like me. You know, they would do anything they could to uh, to try to, to, to get you, you know. And uh, But we tried not to pay attention to that. We would, we, would, we would travel to an away game, usually the day before, and we'd just do dinner together and sometimes go to a movie together and practice, obviously. And then the next next day, most of our games in those days were on like a Saturday and a Monday. And usually, usually a two game road trip. Usually you have a two game road trip, so you'd leave on Friday, and you wouldn't get back till either late Monday night or, or Tuesday, and that would be two away games. And so you, it didn't take you long to get to get used to that. You know. Uh, Did you do any sightseeing? Did they allow you out, say in between games on not, on Sunday, or was it just? No. Hotel room, movie, yeah. eat, and yeah. go to bed. Yeah, we didn't have much. We didn't have much free time. Uh, you know, I think today and they, they they try to give them a lot of free time and take them sightseeing. And uh, but you know, I'm trying to remember where we used to go where there's anything to see. <laughs> Mike Pratt told us now, and you played with him a couple three years. Right. Uh, he told us that. The, you could get in trouble in Starkville, Mississippi with we, a certain fraternity. In fact, fraternity. I think we had a couple of players that went to a little local bar, I guess, one evening. With a fraternity, brother. One, one evening. And and I might have been Coach Hall. I don't remember for sure. It might have been Coach Hall who went to that same bar that night. And, hey, 
just a couple of our players. <laughs> and it was after curfew, I'm sure. Yes. And they didn't play the next the next day. Uh, what's your favorite arena to play in away from Kentucky? Uh, you know, most of the arenas have been rebuilt or, or renovated, obviously, today. Um, I remember uh, – Went to Tennessee, going to Tennessee. That was one of those turf type floors, or I forget what they called it. Tartan floors. Tartan floors, and I remember that being a little bit unique. And uh, uh, Auburn, I think they had they had a, maybe like a tile floor, mm-hmm. you know, in those days. I think and, Alabama uh, had one too. They may have, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you you got to play in some of the old arenas, didn't you? Like oh uh, yeah, Watsy Hut. I'm sure most of the arenas now are entirely different than when when I played. Uh, Did you play against Ray Mears? He was coaching Tennessee when I was playing. Right what do you think of him? Well, I, I, he's okay, but I uh, I remember him talking to you as a as a coach. If if it was a close game, and I mean we had some close games, we'd say if you were on the free throw line. Toward he the end of the game, to he talked to you specifically. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, what did he, he say? I don't remember exactly what he said. I mean, did he, he say he, take an extra stroke? Yes. He, he, he was just – I don't remember exactly what he was saying, but I just remember – I thought that was always funny that the opposing coach would be sitting there during the game talking to you, uh, standing at the free throw line. What about their pre-game antics? Yeah. yeah. Well, he used to uh, ride – the unicycle. Uh, unicycle, yeah. 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 Was there any other coaches that sticks out to you in – as far as um, were, were you were you on the trip when they put the skunk under the bench? Uh, I think that might have been the year before I was there. Okay. Yeah, and I don't that remember was Mississippi any, State. Yeah, I don't remember any particular animals or anything like that. You can remember cowbells and things like that, obviously. Mm-hmm. And uh, the coach at, uh, at uh, oh shoot Marquette, Al, Al McGuire. Yes, tell me about Al. Well, he was uh, he, he was he was different. And he would try to uh, psych you out, uh, especially Coach Rupp. I remember we played them in, the, and I think it was in Wisconsin. Uh, it was either Wisconsin yeah. or Northwestern. Yeah, it was. Uh, because yeah. I'm, I've had several people tell me that they really did y'all wrong by putting you up there to play Marquette yeah. in the basic yeah. home Because gym. Coach Rupp always sent our manager down to the opposing coach and said, which goal, which goal do you want to, to shoot at first? Because then they would know, you know, about mm-hmm. the bench situation. And Al McGuire always sent a, very, a pretty vulgar message about the coach Rupp when, when, when our manager went down to ask him which goal he wanted. He sent a pretty vulgar message about the coach Rupp. Was there a uh, – say you played more often than not non-conference that you enjoyed competing Notre against? Dame. You know, Austin Carr when he played. I don't think we ever played a little – you know, I think that was during the time when we just didn't play. And so Notre Dame, though, we played them every year, played them in Freedom Hall. Mm-hmm. And so I, we always look forward to that game. Most memorable event in your college career, either basketball or otherwise? Oh, man, that's a tough one. Uh, well, I guess one of the most memorable events would have been when you first walked out on the Memorial Coliseum floor, which is where we played all the practice and had all our games. And you know that's that's quite a that was quite a facility in those days. Uh, in fact, uh, I got to go back for a few games a few years ago when my youngest Cameron's brother, my youngest son Collier, played Transylvania. His senior year, they they didn't have a home gym; they were renovating or building a new uh, gym at Transylvania. We played all of our home games 
were at the Memorial Coliseum. So I, I remember that as being a, you know, quite a facility. You played against a lot of great players at UK. Who was the best? Well, obviously it would have had to have been Pete Maravich. Um, yeah, I don't remember a lot of the other players. I mean, obviously I remember Pete Maravich. Uh, I don't remember a lot of the other players. Austin Carr at Notre Dame was a good player. Um, who and and I forget this guy's at, at North Carolina. You know, he was he was quite a jumper. And, you know, I obviously remember that, and I can't remember his name. I'll I'll remember it a little bit later. Wasn't was it? No, no. Best team you competed against. Um. Well, really, you know, um, Western, one of those years, in fact, they beat us in, I think that might have been my senior year, Western beat us in the, in the tournament. Jim McDaniels, mm -hmm. Clarence Glover. Mm -hmm. so, so they had a good team. And if people didn't think about that. They just said, wait a minute, Western beat you all? And you still hear that occasionally, but they had a good team. Funniest thing that ever happened to you as a player? <laughs> Put on a wrong shoe. Uh, no, I never did do that. The, the funny, as I look back on it, it wasn't probably funny at the time. It was when, uh, you know, I was, I think it was my sophomore year, not my original, but, you know, when I was a sophomore playing, we were playing North Carolina. And the player I'm trying to think of played there at that time. And I can't, you know, I'll remember his name later. But we were playing them at, uh, and I was, I was starting. And uh, we were playing them at Memorial Coliseum. And uh, the day of the game, I was sick. I was sick as a dog. But I did not mention that to Coach Rupp. did not mention it to our trainer or anybody because I was going to play because I wanted to start Memorial Coliseum against North Carolina. And uh, I don't remember what kind of game I had or anything like that, but uh, I, I started the game and played. So I don't remember how long I played or how effective I was, probably not at all. And uh, so, anyway, they beat us. Uh, so the next day, um, actually it wasn't the next day because I wasn't able to practice for a couple of days after because I was still sick. And obviously I stayed in touch with the trainer. He knew what was wrong with me. I had flu, I guess. So the next day I was able to go practice. In the Coliseum, I was walking through the tunnel, down one of those you know, halls and tunnel, out to the floor, and here comes Coach Rupp. And <laughs> <laughs> It's just him. It's just him coming toward me and me going out, and and about all he said. Did he have that certain look on his face? Yeah, yeah. So he said, "Mills, you so and so, you cost us that game the other night." And that's all he said. And we, I just kept walking. He kept walking. Well, so, tell me, tell me, tell me a little bit about how Rupp could not remember players. <laughs> Exact names, but he wouldn't make I mean, up a name for them. Well, he what he did, he couldn't. He might not remember your name at the time, but he could remember where you were from. So a lot of times he said Bar he'd call me Barberville. He knew where I was from, but he couldn't. He just momentarily. <laughs> so if he wanted yeah. your attention, he'd say, "Hey, yeah. Barberville." Yeah, yeah. I always thought that was funny. Yeah. You ever have any uh, one big regret from your playing career? Uh, not for my plan, not really. Um, you know, I think I went to the right place for me. As, as looking back on it, it's certainly been a benefit and help for me in my uh, adult life, in my business life, and so forth. 
Um, a lot of people welcome me. I, you know, I was an insurance broker, and a lot of people welcome me into their homes probably because I played ball in the UK. And I, I understand that. Let's talk a little bit about your personal life. Uh, you you left UK. You went into insurance well, business. Well, when I graduated from UK, um, my junior year, I, of course, that was during the uh, when they were drafting people out of college to go to the into the military, the army, or whatever. And so I was actually drafted, got a draft notice my junior year in college, along with some of the other players. And uh, and they were sending it, at those, in those days, they were sending everybody directly to Vietnam. Uh, so if you were healthy enough, uh, you didn't, they drafted you and you, you were gone. But they would wait till you got out of college. If you were in college, they would let you graduate. And they would, then they would call you to active duty. Well, I happened to get into the National Guard during my junior, between my junior and senior year, I got into the National Guard. And of course, in those days, they didn't send National Guard people to Vietnam. So I got in the National Guard and I, between my junior and senior year, and uh, I'd gotten a draft notice. But all I had to do after that, I had to wait to go to what they call basic and advanced training. And uh, so I graduated in spring of 71. And uh, I had a degree in health and physical education and recreation. So my first job that I just took when I graduated, because I hadn't been called to active duty, I, w I was a recreation director at a Kentucky State Park, General Butler, up in Carrollton. And so, and I, and I got married by, between my junior and senior year, along with four or five other players. <laughs> that was that could have been a funny statement too, because Coach Rupp didn't like that at all. Oh, let's yeah. just stop right there and go back to because. You know, we've heard these story all these years, but then we keep going back and we're yeah. finding more yeah. and more players were married. In fact, Billy Ray Licker yeah. got married before yeah. he even played in his all-star game yeah. well, out of high know. school. Yeah. Uh, so it, it sounded like he sort of spoke with a forked tongue. He didn't yeah. like it, but yeah. the one thing about it, he didn't have to worry about you missing curfew if they right. were married. Right. But he didn't have control. <laughs> he didn't have the control over us like he did the other people in the dorms because we were – Obviously lived lived in apartments. How did you meet your wife? Well, that's you know I met her in my little hometown of Barberville. She of course she was from Tallahassee, Florida, that's where she grew up. She's born in Columbus, Ohio, but she grew up in Tallahassee. Her father was in music education uh, at Florida State, and uh, but he he had come to uh, one that summer between I think maybe between my sophomore and junior year, I went home just to work during the summer, and uh, he came up to Union College to do a music program for one of his former uh, students who was now teaching at Union. And uh, so they were there for a few weeks during the summer in Barberville, and I happened to meet her on, on the Union College campus. And so we talked, and you know, I showed her around Barberville, you know, a couple of days. And, and uh, so they were going, to, you know, as I said, she was from Columbus, Ohio, so her grandmother lived in Columbus. And uh, so they were going on up to Columbus, Ohio, after their little stay in Barberville that summer. And she and I just kind of fell for each other, and we kept making jokes about, well, when are we going to get married and how many kids are we going to have and all that, not even thinking we'd even see each other again. You know? <laughs> and uh, we was trying to impress each other. And uh, so so he finished his program union that year, and, and they drove on to Ohio. And she and I kind of kept in touch for a while. And... Uh, then I just, I said, James, I'll never see her again. Yeah. So I kind of quit writing or calling or whatever we were doing. And, uh, well, the next summer I'd gone back home to work for the summer. 
and just out of the blue, she calls and says, we're coming back to Barberville. So do you want to see, can we see each other? I said, well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we, uh, the next summer she, they came back and, but she kind of made up a story cause they really weren't coming to Bar- Barberville to do anything. And you had, was, you had to go a little bit out of your way to get to Barberville from where they were going to Columbus. And uh, so they stopped at Barberville just so uh, her parents, let, they stopped Barbara just so she and I could see each other for a day or two. And then after that, we stayed in touch, wrote letters, called each other. Um, but we didn't probably have officially three or four dates, what you would call dates, until we were until we decided to get married. And uh, so we decided to get married between my junior and senior year. And uh, I think in that summer, I, I know Clint Wheeler got married. Stan Key got married. Larry Steele got married that summer. Dan, I think even Dan got married that summer. Dan Mitchell. And so you're out of school. You yeah. went through the military. You're right. getting and ready to start a family, and you were yeah. getting so, ready to. Uh, well, I ended up going to. Uh, again, you know, she that, she was from Tallahassee, so I and Hugh Durham, you know, was coaching Florida State at the time. And so before I went, uh, when we were still living in Carrollton, my plan was, and I talked to you during my plan was, well, when I had to go to active duty, I was going to take my wife to Tallahassee. She stayed with her parents. I talked to Coach Hugh Durham, and my plan was, after I got through my basic training and my advanced training, which lasted about six months total, I was going to go to Florida State and be his graduate assistant, which I did. They had, uh, who was it, Otto Petty and Reggie King from Louisville, Kentucky players. And so I was his graduate assistant, helped him with his freshman team in those days. And uh, then it took me about a year and a half to get my master's degree. And uh, then I took a job over in Fort Walton Beach, Florida. Uh, stayed there for a couple of years. And uh, then uh, a gentleman called me from Somerset Community College. Now, first of all, I turned down a job at Transylvania before I, you know, before I took mm-hmm. the job in Florida. And... Uh, so I always wondered what that would turn into. Jim, uh, uh, no, she, who was the coach before Coach Lane? Rose was his last name, I think. Yeah, Lee Rose. Lee Rose. Lee yeah. Rose. He offered me a job at Transylvania, and I, we had just started building a house and everything in Florida when I was teaching at this little school down there, and, and uh, I just just couldn't change at the time, so I turned that job down, and uh, so we stayed in Florida f- uh, for a couple more years. And a guy called me from Somerset Community College, and I said, well, if I'm ever going to get in college coaching, then I need to go back to Kentucky and start at a little community college, which was Somerset Community College. And uh, so we, I did that. We moved. To, but Cameron, I, you know, son who played at UK, he was uh, he was actually born in Fort Walk Beach. So you and, uh, have Cameron. You have Cameron. And, and then Collier. Yeah, Collier was born in, Cameron was born in 75 and Collier in 78. And then you all, uh, you adopt two we daughters? Adopt, uh, after we moved to Lexington, we moved to Lexington uh, when the boys were getting ready to go to, well, Cameron was getting ready to go, be a freshman in high school, and Carter would have been in middle school. Uh, and we'd been on a, a program called Special Needs Adoption Program, just waiting to find some kids or whatever that we could adopt. And uh, that's why we still live in Somerset. And I, you know, we only had a team there at the college for a couple of years, and then I stayed there and taught and worked at the college. Um, but I did get insurance business in '82, I think it was. Uh, so we, but we adopted the girls. Uh, actually, we moved to Lexington in '89, 
and we end up they end up calling and say we got these two sisters that we'd like to y'all consider adopting. So we we went through that process after we moved to Lexington in '89, and uh, we did end up adopting them. They were they were five and six years old, and we were the fifth family that they lived with mm. at that age. You've got Collier, you've got Cameron, and but you're not pushing them into sports. Didn't, didn't push them, but tell I me, can, Tell me know. a little bit about well, the time that they decided, yeah. Dad, we think we'd like to play baseball. Well, I, uh, and we lived in Somerset from 77 to 82, and, uh, when, uh, and I, I continued to play myself in some YMCA leagues, little church leagues and stuff. I continued to play, so they'd always go with me when, when I would play. And, of course, you know how that goes. They'd get a ball and start dribbling at halftime and off the court while the game's going on. They'd dribble and dribble. And, and uh, so when they got to the – about a uh, little bit before middle school, probably elementary school, uh, we had some YMCA leagues. And, and uh, so they started playing. And, of course, being their parent, I just ended up coaching them in a, in a little YMCA league. Cameron tells and, me that when they told you they wanted to play, that it changed – the relationship with you. Well, what do you mean by that? <laughs> well, that, that means I was probably expected a little bit more out of them when they were practicing or shooting. I would make sure they shot properly or with good form and so forth, and and uh, I expected them to work a little harder and maybe do some uh, some drills and things like that that they had never seen or heard of. And so they kept kept at it and. Um, then I was able to take them to bring them up to Lexington to a few UK games, and uh, you know, so they really started thinking and liking basketball. But I never did push them into it. I knew Cameron a lot closer than I did Collier, just because mm -hmm. of my association with UK and not Transylvania. But tell me the difference um, between Cameron and Collier as far as basketball and their work habits. Well, uh, as far as basketball, Cameron was, uh, as far as, he was mature physically a lot earlier than, than Collier. He was always a good shooter. And, of course, as you know, there's room for a good shooter, whether it be high school or college. So uh, so when he went to, and he's a freshman at Dunbar. In fact, that was Dunbar's first year at the new school. And uh, he was able to play with Darnell Burton, some of those kids. Great player, high yeah, school player. yeah. And uh, so they end up, in fact, they had a great team at Dunbar. They went to state tournament a couple of years. Everybody and, uh, remembers Cameron being yeah. the three-point shooter yeah. Yeah. in high school. How did it happen? Because if I remember correctly, he was actually a walk-on at UK. Oh, yeah. yeah. He, yeah his, Tell me uh, how that happened. Well, uh, you know, he was, he was a good player, and uh, some colleges started showing some interest by letters and calls. I think to Georgia him. was interested in it. Georgia was probably right. the most prominent name of a, of a – a good school that, and they recruited him, offered him a scholarship, and of course, being a proud parent, and be, and of course, at that time, Coach Durham, who was Florida State when I was his graduate assistant, was coaching Georgia, and so uh, they happened to see him play in a summer All Star League, and uh, so, showed some interest and started calling, started sending letters, and of course, being a proud parent and and getting a scholarship offer, that's kind of where I said, well, that makes sense, you know, Coach, I worked for and I know him and Georgia's got a good program good school SEC and I said yeah, I, I didn't really push him to go there but I'm kind of hoping he would decide to go there because Kentucky didn't show any interest I mean he'd gone to a couple of uh, Coach Patino's camps mm -hmm. but he Coach Patino didn't show any interest 
And uh, but Cameron, you know, when it finally got down to where he had to decide to pick a school, he didn't want to pick Georgia because he wants to keep his options open. So he just came to me and told me. I said, "Well, that's fine, Cameron." I said, "You don't you don't have to go to Georgia if you don't feel like comfortable going there. You don't have to go." And uh, I think he th had in his mind all along that he wanted to try to walk on to UK. And uh, so when he told me that's what he wanted to do, and of course, you know, I went to everybody's friend, Bill Kitely. <laughs> I said, <laughs> "Mr. I said, Wildcat." Yeah, I said, "Bill, what uh, is what he wants to do? I mean, what?" And, and he had Cameron had had a good uh, camp at Coach Patino's camp that summer. And I said, Bill, I said, he wants to walk on. Do you think that's a possibility? He said, well, let's go see Billy Donovan, who was Rick's assistant at the time. And so I went, had a meeting with Billy Donovan. He said, he said he, won't, he said he won't stand his way if that's his dream. He won't stand his way. He'll, he'll give him a walk-on position because he didn't have to try out for walk-on or anything. He was, he was just there. And, uh, of course, we had to spend a lot of money on – Food and dorms. And yeah, stuff he eventually like yeah. got on scholarship. Yeah, his his junior year when uh, he he got on full scholarship, and uh, but but he wasn't going. Coach Patino wasn't going to play him because he didn't recruit him. But he practiced every day, went through all the drills with all the other kids, uh, and but he Coach Patino wasn't going to. You know, he was just he was just there working with him, practicing, and you know. Walk me through this a little bit now. Walk me through his sophomore and junior and senior year and how it was sitting up in the stands as an ex-player, uh -huh. seeing your son yeah. out there sitting a lot, yeah. playing just a little, and then how the development finally grew, particularly yeah. in 96 and 97 yeah. and 98. Yeah. First year, I, I didn't really expect anything, you know, and Cameron, you know, did okay. He uh, went through the program, went through all everything that they did, and all the treadmill workouts and all that stuff, and he he hung right in there, and, and uh, he was in the best shape he'd have been in his life. <laughs> so, uh, and so we didn't expect much. And then uh, his sophomore year, uh, you know, Cameron, he, he, again, he was a good shooter, and I said, surely there's room on this team for a shooter. But Patino always – today, too. Oh, that's true. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, Patino wasn't going to, you know, he he always blamed his defense as a reason he wasn't playing him. Well, his junior year, um, when Derek Anderson got hurt. 97. Yeah. Well, I've been in 90, uh, right, because in 96 he was on that team, yes. but still he didn't play any. He played some, you know, when the game was pretty well over, he'd get him in there the last minute. In some situation, a shooter and, uh, like that as a walk yeah. dog, it's too many threes in a row, he really goes to the bench. Well, either that or he plays yeah. a lot more because if you if you get in if you get in as a, uh, a walk on and you don't hit your first two three pointers and you're supposed to be a three point shooter, then he'll put you right back on the bench and forget about you. Well, the great thing what happened to Cameron when he first started playing him, Anderson got hurt. He happened to hit his three pointers. Well, then he got so much confidence in Cameron he didn't care about his defense. <laughs> well, you know if you hit three threes, that's nine. That's if right. you give up. Three twos, you've only give up that, six. That's you're true. still ahead. So Cameron was able to continue to play as long as he made those three pointers. And I can name you can probably remember some kids the same situation as Cameron that they got in and they happened to miss their three pointers. Well, then he, they took it. They took those kids out and they didn't get to play much anymore. So anyway, that uh, that that year Cameron did okay when he got to play, but he didn't play much. Whether his junior year when when Derek in '97 when Derek Anderson got hurt, he started playing Cameron. In fact, he, I think he started him the next game or something like that, you know, because he'd had some good practices. And uh, he, 
he started hitting his threes and they got into the tournament and he kept, kept hitting threes and he just stayed in the game, you know. And uh, then they went – I think they played, what was that, in Indianapolis when they played the uh, – uh, Arizona. Uh, Arizona. But we'll play Minnesota first. Yeah. He had some big threes against Minnesota in that uh, semifinal game there. And um, then he actually hit some against Arizona, which in, they ended up beating us. But we should have won the game if somebody made the free throws to end the game. But anyway, he hit his threes in that game. So from then on, he, he had so much confidence. And, of course, Coach Patino left after that year. Cameron had one more year as a senior year with a new coach, which was Tubby. And uh, that was that was yeah. really an emotional year, up and down. Yeah, yeah. yeah. To uh, but yeah, was, that stretch yeah. run in yeah. March, basically starting was, in Saint Saint Petersburg, yeah. and the yeah. Duke game. Duke game, yeah. Uh, yeah. Was you ever prouder in your life? <laughs> yeah. Well, no. That uh, when he made that three against Duke, yes, that set him that set Cameron up for for life. <laughs> and of course, obviously, we were as parents, we were. Pretty proud, as you can imagine. And Collier was playing at Transy at the time. And that year, in the month of March, we were gone to ball games, either to Transy's tournaments or UK's tournaments, 21 days out of that month. So, now, you, he had the championship in 98. Now, let's yeah. switch over to Collier and yeah. his run at yeah. Transylvania. Yeah. He was NAIA Player of the Year. His when Yeah, Collier ended up being the NAIA Player of the Year, National Player of the Year, his senior year. But now, when he was in high school, Collier uh, as grew a, a lot. Uh, yeah, as a freshman, he was five ten. You know, and so his only hope, as far as we were thought at the time, was again being a good shooter. And we didn't know how much he was going to play at Dunbar at the time because he's five ten. Yeah, uh, and he was a good shooter. But then uh, suddenly he just started growing. Well, the time he was a senior, he was six six. And he wasn't, and and uh, so he didn't get a whole lot of a lot of interest from colleges, especially big time colleges. Uh, but Transylvania showed some interest and talked to him and, and encouraged him to go to Transy, and, and he did. Of course, I knew Coach Lane for a long time because when I was in high school, Coach Lane was at Union College in Barnesville, yes. and, and he, he was a student teacher at my high school. So I, And then when the kids were growing up, and some, even when we lived in Somerset, we'd always bring them up here to Coach Lane's camp. So I knew known him for a long time. So they recruited Collier. Uh, when Carrie went to Transylvania, he wasn't even he, he was so his body was so immature he wasn't even shaving. You know, he didn't start shaving until he was in college. Well, he grew two more inches from his freshman year he transferred to his senior year, and uh, his, his junior year he started really playing well and got a lot of interest from you know different people. And his senior year he was a NAIA Player of the Year. He's first team All American his his junior year, but he was an NAIA Player of the Year his senior year. In fact, he was invited to go out and try out for a couple of NBA teams. Uh, he went to Italy to play a, a little bit right after college, and uh, he had a he had what they call an extra bone. I don't know what the medical name for it, but he had an extra bone in both ankles. So he had surgery on one of them right after he got through playing at Transy his senior year, not knowing that the other ankle was the same situation, but he started having some problems with it when he was in Italy. He came home and, again, had surgery in his other ankle, and Dan Issel had was with the Nuggets in the, I don't know if he's coaching or just in the front office. So he invited Carter to come out and try out for the Nuggets as a free agent. And that's when Carter discovered he had this problem in his other ankle. So he had to leave camp down there early and come back here and have that surgery. 
And Dan told him and said, you know, we'll, we'll invite you back next year. But then the coyote didn't have any interest in going back after two surgeries and being out all summer. And, but he he, uh, he developed into a mighty fine player. I'm getting ready to let you tell us a little bit about uh, Cameron and his team's anniversary coming up here uh, this year, the yeah. 20th anniversary. Yeah, Cameron is uh, – And uh, before we get into that, though, i got to ask you, what if – what if any of the five different times that Cameron came home during his fresh year and said, Dad, I'm done? Yeah, what do you tell uh, him? He, uh, he, his mother loves this story, you know, because <laughs> he always would come home and he, he would talk to his mother first. And you know how mother, lot, most mothers are. Mothers they, they are the good cop. Right. You're and, the bad cop. Yeah. And, and, but she'd always tell him, now, Cameron, you're the one who made the decision to walk on to Kentucky. You can't just quit because – Coach Patino was rough on him. That's the way it's going to be every place. Well, when he would talk to me, I said, Cameron, I said, I played for a guy named Adolph Rupp. And there was no way, there was not even a comparison the way he was to the way Patino is. If I can put up with Coach Rupp and all these other kids put up with Coach Rupp all the years, Coach Patino will be a piece of cake. You just got to live with it for a while. So you don't need, we don't want to quit. And uh, I think Cameron will tell you now, too, that he's glad he never quit. How how far apart was those five different trips home with the same story? Oh, probably a week apart, maybe. If if It could have been a couple of times a week, you know. Because a, a lot of that was doing preseason work. And, and of course, he did uh, – Coach Patino was rough on Cameron. You know, he uh, – uh, again, but Cameron looks back on it. He, he wouldn't take anything in the world for what, what he went through because he, he was in the best shape of his life on what he went through there. So these uh, 98 yeah. players, yeah. all under Tubby Smith, right. uh, won the championship. They're getting ready to put out a documentary, and I'll right. let you give the information okay. before we get on yeah. to some others. Okay. Well, you know, Cameron did a you – know, he produced – he and some other friends of his, Dick Gable being one, everybody mm -hmm. probably knows him, uh, and Jason Epperson, his uh, cinematographer, over, he lives over in Winchester. But they did a, a documentary of the 96 team, right. which was very successful, won a couple of awards. So this year, Cameron wanted to do a documentary of the 98 team, and they called that documentary Out of the Blue. And if you think back on it, there was no one expected Kentucky to go to the Final Four, you know, in, in 98. And uh, so I think that's Out of the Blue is a perfect fit for a name. Uh, again, that'd be the story of the 98 National Championship team and several interviews with, with, with players, uh, a couple of uh, – Newspaper guys will be talking about it, and uh, it's going to air on Christmas Day, which they aired last year. They aired the '96 documentary on Christmas Day, and it's going to be aired on Christmas Day on uh, Channel 27, WKYT, in Lexington, uh, YMT, WYMT, and Hazard, and they're also going to be in uh, Huntington, West Virginia, and of course, be CW also here in Lexington. How can they order it? Uh, they can order it by going to. Uh, they can. Uh, the DVD will be out December, as far as in hard copy. But they can go ahead and do a pre-order now, and uh, they just go to CameronMillsRadio.com, CameronMillsRadio.com, and uh, they can pre do a pre-order. And the uh, price on it is, uh, including shipping and handling, would be fifteen dollars. It's it's nine ninety nine for the video. So once it gets out in hard copy, people can make arrangements about it in hard copy. Jerry, you you played for Rupp in the in the sort of the twilight of his career. The 70 team may have been his last 
legitimate shot at right. a Final Four and a national championship. During that period, you heard a lot of things out in the community about his illnesses, uh, about whether or not he should retire. There was a little friction on the campus because there was a state mandatory retirement age of 70, which thankfully we don't have today. Right. But there was at that time. Did, did you as a player and your colleagues as teammates uh, sense this going on? We heard several rumors, if you want to call it rumors, whatever, that, that the state was trying to force him out by the age limitation. But, you know, we, we all liked Coach Rupp, and most fans are – I can't imagine any fans not liking Coach Rupp. Uh, didn't want that to happen. And he obviously didn't feel like he was ready, but he, he was, you know, he, he was sick a little bit, you know. Were, were, and, uh, were you uh, on the, any of the teams when he actually missed games because? I don't remember missing any games, but I remember him, especially during practice, not being able to walk up and down the floor and get out there and mix it up with us. He had to sit on the side of the chair with one of his legs up in the chair. Um, and he couldn't couldn't walk around and in fact he had to do that a few times during games and that could have been one of the reasons where the maybe the uh, UK and the state of Kentucky was trying to get him to go ahead and retire up close coach Rupp how would you compare him and the times of coaching and playing the game versus today could he coach today could he have adjusted uh, or would have it just been a different era? well I think he could, uh, as far as his the technical part of the game, I think he could adjust it. Uh, I don't know if he would have the temperament to put up with some of the things that some of these players do now or what some of the fans even expect now. Uh, but, he, you know, he was – during his time, he was probably the greatest. And I think if he was 60 years old today or 65, he could adjust and, and coach a team and be effective. Uh he wouldn't recruit some of the players we recruit now. Um, I don't think he would ever agree to the one and done. Uh, again, I just, you know, in fact, I'm not necessarily was it, was, was the issue of racism that was brought on yeah. 20 years later, even after he retired, was that was all nonsense. He was not a, he was not even close to being a racist. He tried to recruit some of the black players in those days, and their, their family or their parents uh, didn't want them to come to Kentucky because they knew that we had to go to Mississippi and places like that to play. And they did not, in those days, they did not want their kids to be in the South, which I'm sure a lot of people are that way. Uh, so it wasn't Coach Rupp. You know, he, he tried, in fact, the, the first black player I remember in the SEC ended up coming to, to Vanderbilt, Perry Wallace. Perry Wallace. But he tried to recruit some black players before then. In and fact, Tom West, Payne. Uh, the Western team you talked about at Beacon Tech. Yeah. He'd recruited four of those five. Right, right. Didn't get any Plus of them. Plus Wes Unsel, remember that? And Butch Beard. You know, Darryl he, Griffin. He, yeah. He, he didn't shy away from those kids because of the race. And, uh, you know, so so he just got a bad reputation. And, I, you know, I always just you know, irritates me when he, people even mention it, you know, because that just wasn't him. I'm going to ask you, give you the names of people, players you played with or notables around the program. Just give me three or four words about each one of them, okay. how you remember them. And we'll start out with uh, Dr. V.A. Jackson. Oh, 
<laughs> he he had been uh, he well he was the team doctor. That's that's all you could call him. Was the team doctor. Bill Kiley. Well, as you said earlier, Mr. Wildcat or everybody's friend. Claude Vaughn. Uh, Claude was a professor, but he was our trainer. Grower sales. <laughs> well, you know, Grower was was a manager. Student uh, manager. Uh, student manager. I, I think he helped coach her up a lot in personal things. And uh, ran into Grover not too long ago, and I, I hadn't seen him since we probably at UK together. Harry Lancaster. Uh, he was the drill sergeant of the coaching staff. Dick Parsons. Just a staple of the program. You always count on him. Joe Hall. Well, Joe, Joe Hall was the uh, – uh, he was the well. He always checked on us, make sure we were in the dorm at curfew, and he, he he's always kind of around, making sure we were doing what we were supposed to do. And uh, Coach Hall's been around forever, and, and I enjoy seeing still seeing him. You know, Tom Parker, uh, one of the best le lefties that I can remember. Tom Payne. Tom Payne was uh, very unfortunate what happened to him, but uh, he was a good player. We played against him. Uh, when we had to play the AAU team, when he wasn't able to play on the varsity, he played on the AAU team. And, uh, I, you know, again, Coach Red recruited him big time. Mike Casey. Uh, unfortunately, what happened to Mike when he broke his leg, uh, again, you know, we stayed in touch for several years until he passed on. But, uh, uh, good, good, good basketball player, obviously. Larry Steele. Uh, Larry Steele, very uh, – I haven't seen Larry in many, many years, but he ended up being a great uh, NBA player, uh, very good player at UK, obviously. Kent Hollenbeck. Uh, Kent was a year behind me, a good, good guard, uh, played uh, I think one year maybe me and Kent and Stan Key and Jim Dinwiddie. We kind of alternated at guard positions for a whole season. Jim Andrews. Uh, Jim Andrews, uh, a good friend. I see Jim occasionally now, and uh, he, he hadn't changed very much, put on a little weight like most of us. But Larry Stamper. <laughs> Larry Stamper, just a good old boy. Stan Key. Uh, Stan, you know, again, Stan came over from Western Kentucky and uh, fit right in with the rest of us and stayed around and ended up being a, a, a good employee with the UK. Clint Wheeler. Clint's a very good friend. Clint and I see each other uh, probably more frequently than I do any others, and Clint's become a good friend. He and his wife and me and my wife, we've been close friends for 50 years. Steve Penorwood. Uh, Steve, did, uh, Steve, uh, Steve didn't stay around, you know, the whole time, uh, either, uh, unless I've got him mixed up with some of that. But I remember Steve, remember the name, you know, uh, but uh, I don't remember a whole lot, can't remember a whole lot about him. Dan Issel. Uh, well, Dan ended up being – I think Dan ended up being – even though he scored a lot of points at UK, he just continues that right on in the, in the ABA. Randy Poole. I remember – I'll always remember Randy because when he got out of school, uh, my mother worked in a little bank in Barberville, and Randy was in the, some kind of position that sold materials and stuff to the banks. And he would always go in uh, and see my mother and ask about me when he would come through uh, that little town and see her. He would go by and see her and ask about me. Mike Pratt. Well, Mike, you know, uh, Mike, again, he never forgot us, and we've never forgot Mike, and still enjoy hearing him what he's doing now, and he's he's hung right in there to be a U.K. guy. Phil Argento. Well, I remember Phil, as, uh, as his when he was on the freshman, he was the best high scorer, I guess, in U.K. history as far as on the freshman team. 
and uh, I think I think he ended up having a son that was, ended up being a good player. I don't remember where he, where he ended up going to school, but uh, I remember Phil. Greg Sterry. Uh, Greg was a uh, another guy. He was a couple of years behind me, I guess, and, and uh, you know, I just remember him as a very polite guy, and I'm sure it's, uh, he remembers all the old UK players. Bob McCowan. Bob, I, well, I guess what I know, remember about Bob is – he works on a fish, owns a fishing boat, maybe still. <laughs> Last I heard from Bob, he was he was charging fishing boats for somebody. Bill Busey. Well, Bill was one of the unfortunate ones that didn't didn't last the whole four years at UK when he came. How would you want to be remembered when people talk about you <laughs> twenty years from now and they dig through the files and yeah. this Cameron and well, yeah, you know, I used to have my own identity. But now that Cameron and Collier played and were so successful, I'm now their dad. So that's 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 all I care about. You know, I'm I'm you know they've turned out to be. I couldn't expect more from from kids than what they've done. And, uh, What's your fondest memory of attending University of Kentucky and wearing the blue and white? Uh, again, probably the first probably the first game. Just you know how you feel when you go out there on the floor and all. Well, at the time, thirteen thousand people, you know, yelling for you and you know, stand up around the floor and you're out there warming up and they're playing a fight song and all that. You know, especially if you think about going to UK. And when I, of course, when I was in high school, it was on the radio. I I listened to UK on the radio. It wasn't a whole lot of television in those days. And so I remember uh, listening to the radio when Cotton Nash played. Thank you, Jerry. Well, thank you Appreciate for having me. I enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you very much. All right, thanks to Terry Mills who took the time to chat with Oscar on the latest episode of Conversations with Oscar Combs presented by Rafferty's. For more on the Mills family, yes, we gave Cameron some time too. It's episode 14. To find Conversations with Oscar Combs, you can always go to oscarcombs.com podcast. And if you're on the go, then downloading episodes of Conversations to your mobile device might be the best for you. For iPhone users, search iTunes for Ed Wildcat News and subscribe. For Android users, go to the Google Play Store, navigate to Music and then Podcast, and search for Ed Wildcat News. You can also listen through the Stitcher app by searching for Ed Wildcat News. And the best thing is, all of these podcasts are free, and you're not going to find them anywhere else except through Oscar Combs. On Twitter, Oscar's made it easy for you and the Big Blue Nation. Follow him at Wildcat News. I'm Bo Robinson, and you can catch me on Twitter, too, at BoBigBlue. Thanks for listening to Episode 32 of Conversations with Oscar Combs, presented by Rafferty's and his guest, Terry Mills. And as always, go Big Blue.